We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey there, this is Craig Cottle, director of Nature Reliance School, back for part two. This is part two of a two-part series on personal and group security as it relates to survival and preparedness. I'm your host today for this Manly Musing segment for the Survival Show podcast. Really appreciate you joining me. I'm here solo again, as I mentioned in part one. So jump on in with me. Slide up here on the around the campfire. I'm sitting outside today. I haven't been out to record one of these podcasts outside in too long. I've been doing a lot of work outside. Actually, I've been doing a lot of work outside, but I haven't recorded a podcast. So it feels really good to be here with you all. Just hanging out, just looking out upon this oasis of, you know, just beautiful trees and open wildlife habitat right here that I'll usually sit up on. So thanks for joining me. Well, again, we talked about uh, MSK1 in podcast number one, part one of this. So don't forget to look in the description below for the link for the MSK1 knives. I'm not using that term loosely, knives. It's not a knife anymore. David had a knife, but now he has knives <laughs> that he's designed and are putting out there for use. Oh my gosh, man. He's seeing a lot of success with it too. So I hope you get in there and check it out. If it suits your needs, then then jump on in there. That way we can uh, help support David and what he's doing because uh, he's the oil that makes this machine run often. I'm sitting here looking at my notes and so... I want to get back into the second part and just dig right into it. I talked about the five vulnerable areas of the human body at the end of part one. I said that's what I'm going to start off with, and that is what I'm going to start off with. Let's consider these, the face, the throat, the groin, the knees, and the feet. The reason I bring these parts of the body up is those parts of the body, no matter how big, how strong, how, how much of a meathead somebody is, then those areas of the body are vulnerable. So you can be a big dude and be struck by a little person, somebody that's not very strong in those areas, and I'm not saying that it knocks you out. I'm not saying it stops you. It is those parts of the body that are most vulnerable. And what I mean by that is you, you take your fist and hit some big guy in the chest as hard as you can. Probably not going to do nothing, with an, especially with an adrenaline dump going. Probably not going to do a daggone thing. But I'm telling you right now, if you take your knee and, and knee me in the, in the groin as hard as you can, it don't matter how big I am, how strong I am, that hurts. If you strike me in the throat, it doesn't matter how many fireman's carries I've done. It doesn't know how many neck exercises I've done. You hit me in the throat, there's no muscular tissue there. And so it's vulnerable. And that's what I mean by that. And so... Don't forget those three things that I talked about in part one, surprise, speed, and violence of action. What I mean by speed and violence of action is that I'm not saying you hit somebody in the face one time. I'm saying you hit somebody in the face 20 times until they let go. You just keep going, striking in the throat, the face, the knees, 
the groin, the feet, whatever it takes. You keep tacking with those five weapons that I talked about yesterday into one of those five vulnerable areas of the body as hard and as fast as you can go. That is self-defense. Now, there's a whole lot to self-defense, but for me sharing some information with you that you can actually put to use today, that's it. Somebody grabs you right now, then you take one of those five weapons and you hit them in one of those five vulnerable areas as hard and as fast as you can. Matter of fact, take any of those five weapons and hit any of those five vulnerable areas, if not multiple versions of that, as hard and as fast as you can. Then you're more likely to get away from that situation. And again, that's my goal, is to get you away. Get a, get you in a position where you're safer and you're away, and that way you don't have to deal with that person anymore. It's not about putting a beat down on somebody. It's about you getting to safety. Now, with that said, there are some places in the world where putting a beat down on somebody is the only way you're going to survive. I get that. But what I'm saying is right now my encouragement to you is to do everything you can to distance yourself from the aggressor. That's your number one go. Get away from them. That's why I teach avoidance and awareness like I did in part one. First, just get away from people. Keep your ego in check. Distance yourself from the aggressor. Keep your head up so that you can see it coming before it actually gets there. So those are the five vulnerable areas of the body. So here's the thing about tools. I've mentioned firearms. uh, Knives are another one. Uh, These are things that you can utilize to effectively uh, increase your ability to defend yourself. But here's something that you must do. If you're going to carry a knife for self-defense, then you need to train with that knife in self-defense. If you're going to carry a firearm for self-defense, you need to get firearms training to be able to carry that firearm in self-defense. And it's my opinion that more often than not, you should spend three to five times, literally, whatever the tool costs, you should spend three to five times that amount of money getting good qualified training from a good instructor. We as humans have taught ourselves, and we've talked about this numerous times as it relates to survival, particularly wilderness survival, bushcrafting and stuff like that, is that, man, we are tool users, aren't we? Humans, that is. We like to buy stuff, gear nuts, gear heads. You know who I'm talking about. I'm kind of one of them myself. With that said, buying a piece of equipment does not make you qualified in the subject matter of utilizing that piece of equipment. It just doesn't. So if you buy a firearm to utilize a self-defense, then by all means, please listen to me. Get some training from somebody. That's what these guys and gals do. They do a good job of it. There's some terrible instructors out there. Talk to people that know or in the know. Talk to friends that you know that train. Ask them. And if you don't, contact me and I'll tell you. I'll find somebody where you live. I'll find somebody. I know a lot of people. I will help you find somebody in the area in which you live to get good firearms training. That would be the first thing. Spend money on training is more so than you do the tool itself. Now, here, here's something to keep in mind. If you do fall to the ground, we talked in the last uh, podcast about we want to do everything that we can to stay off the ground. But what happens if we do fall to the ground? It's what I call, and I picked this up from studying BJJ, um, it's just a real simple thing, knees to elbows, elbows to knees. So when you, we talked about in part one, protecting your head, when you should also do everything you can to protect your abdomen, but your head, your head is number one, okay? Your stomach and area, that's very, very important, but it's not as important as your head. 
So if you fall to the ground, then bring your knees up and bring your elbows to your knees. What that allows you to do is keep your hands up near your head and protect, use your knees to protect your abdomen and your rib cage and stuff of that nature. But I say that because somebody starts stomping on you, standing above you and stomping on you, you need to protect your head and abdomen. Okay. If those areas get hurt, then you're, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. If you break an arm, you'll use that other arm to fight. I've seen it. I've seen it more than once. People will break that arm and they'll continue to fight. Adrenaline dump will not even let them know that their arm is broken for a while. But you knock that head, get your head knocked off, you break a rib, and then you start to move. Yeah, adrenaline is going to help quite a bit there, but it, it's pretty significant. It's hard. You've seen even this happen to professional fighters. They get hit in the abdomen, in the in the chest, in the in the gut over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, bam, they get a liver shot or they get busted in a or bust a rib, and they're done. They're they're down. So keep that in mind. Really important. Knees to elbows, elbows to knee. Knees. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You know, there's a there's an adage uh, that I think Homeland Security came up with, run, hide, fight, that refers to active aggressor, active shooter training. This is point number eight. But it's really good as it relates to anything. Uh, those that are trained, law enforcement officers, security agents, those that want to defend themselves, you might have a little different means of understanding this because you should. You have good training. But for the rest of the world that doesn't spend a lot of time training in tactics and firearms and self-defense and stuff of that nature, even martial arts training, the best thing to do, number one, and even from my perspective, is to, for me, and I do have a lot of training, is to get away. And it's what, you know, an active aggressor is called run. Basically create a distance between you and the aggressor. Then hide. And a good question for you is, where do you hide? Let's think about an active shooter situation. Where do you hide in a building? Well, there was a study done by some organization. It was a national organization. One of my friends is a is a, a, an instructor for uh, armed school tactics. And one of the things that the study that he shared with me uh, was real clear about is that let's think about the opportunities you have for hiding behind something. You can hide behind earth. You can hide behind steel. You can hide behind block. You can hide behind wood. Okay, think about that. In a school, for example, or any building for that matter. The best thing to stop bullets is earth. So if there's somewhere where you can put a hill or some earthen structure between you and the aggressor, then do it. That's going to be the best bet for stopping bullets. Okay. The next down on that list was, it depends on the steel, was actually block more often than not. And it's not that a, a typical rifle or handgun even can't shoot through block. It eventually will. Sometimes it'll go straight through depending upon the ammunition that's in it. But it's going to be better served than most steel doors that they have in like schools and restaurants and stuff of that nature. So it would be earth, 
then block, and then steel. And again, it depends on the steel. Some schools are spending extra money to get bulletproof doors. Not necessarily bulletproof, but they handle bullets and absorb bullets a little bit more so than your typical door. And then after that, obviously, is something like drywall because most stuff is going to go right through the wall. Uh, shotgun, slug, it's going to go right through the wall. Depending upon the ammunition, a lot of rifle ammunition is going to go right through the wall. And so uh, these are the things that it might provide you concealment because somebody can't see you, but it doesn't necessarily provide you cover, which is something that's going to protect you from bullets. So if you know somebody that's in the military, discuss that topic with them because they have really good training on that type of thing because, you know, people are trying to shoot them with bullets on a regular basis, particularly your infantry dudes and gals. Well, not gals, but all right. So here's something that's really important for group security is that is uh, I'm a big fan of having a security word. And what I mean by that is have a word with your family that when you say that word, things happen. And for example, let's say I'm a firearms carrier because I am. My family, we had a word and we need to refresh ourselves. I'm sitting here telling this and we probably need to talk about it again because our family's a little bit different now. I don't have two kids at home anymore. But um, if if I say a word that is my word, and I always just use this word snow cone just to, as a teaching point, I use the word snow cone, then my family had certain things that they would do. Typically that means distance themselves from me, get away from me, because I'm getting ready to pull a firearm out and I'm getting ready to, to uh, defend myself. So these are... Uh, important consideration so that you can say a word everybody knows that they do something and you could actually use that in normal everyday language meaning I could be sitting in a grocery store and I recognize that something's going down and I just talk to my wife and say hey I really would like to get one of those snow cones tonight and she knows to uh, with the way my voice is to slowly but surely start distancing herself from me. And so the safe word is really important. For those that have um, little children, small children, it's absolutely something that you and your family should discuss. Uh, if a female is the one that's going to be the aggressor to defend the family or the male, it doesn't matter to me. But if you've got little ones, then when that word is used then the other person is, the, and I'll just use my family as an example. We did some, my, when my kids were little is that we had the word. And when I said that word, my wife took kids and moved them away. And we did this on occasion in practice. Just so it wasn't something we talked about. We actually did it. And so that, that word, that safe word or that danger word, whatever you want to call it is something that you all, I would highly recommend you all work with in your families. Last but not least, last point I want to discuss is what what is very important as it relates to self-defense, and that is a threat is still a threat until it's neutralized. And when I say neutralized, that means it's no longer a threat because you've knocked a person out, you've incapacitated them in such a way that they can no longer fight you, or they are so far away from you now that they can't be a threat, meaning you've distanced yourself from them. It's They are no longer a threat. It is a neutral threat now. So um, definitely leave a situation whenever you can. Distance yourself. That distance is vital to your safety. And that way, no matter what's going on, 
uh, with that distance, you are not going to be a victim to that particular person. Again, a threat is still a threat until it is neutralized. Uh, if that's firearm straining, sometimes that means you shoot the threat to the ground. Sometimes that means you you knock the threat to the ground. And again, I think it's worthy of your consideration that a fight like that, when a, if you're fighting someone and you knock them to the ground, that's when you exit. Because you jumping on top of somebody and stomping on them, that's a problem. That's a problem in our current culture and our society. Um, you know, Back in the day, somebody might deserve a good whooping like that, but getting on top of somebody when they're down, that's that's a good way to go to jail real quick-like. So those are things that I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm not saying you should not do that. I am saying in that particular case that it's something that you must think about how you're going to handle yourself now. Think about it now. That's why I'm bringing this subject up. Think about how you're going to handle yourself in that situation now so that when it happens, you're ready. All right, so this has been Craig Cottle for the Manning Musing segment of the Survival Show podcast. Hey, I didn't know how long this would last. I've been doing my best to try to hit these around 15 minutes. That way it's a more digestible, smaller particle and easier for you all to get into. So I hope you've enjoyed these. And, man, it feels good to be back. It feels especially good to be back out here in the woods sitting on the porch just looking at, again, the oasis that is in front of me of these beautiful trees. So, as always, with the Survival Show podcast, check out the sponsors in the description below. Check out that MSK1 knife of David's. You'll find it to your knees, I'm sure, because if you don't, if you see one of them and it's not, you'll find another one. He's got a whole line of them now. Smart man there, making all kinds of knives, so people will find what works for them. You know, I've said it for years now, but there's not a single knife, in my opinion, that works for everybody. There's just not. Not even the knife that I designed. Not the knife that David designed. David, I think, recognized that, too. That's why he designed several knives. And guess what? Craig's got several knives that he's designed, too, that'll be coming out. So with that said, uh, check out the MSK one below. Uh, you, I'm sure you'll find something that you like there. You've, and the pay, dude, dude, dudettes, those of you listening, the price is right. Check it out. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Stay sharp.